You're listening to Podhaven. So, so uh, today, uh, George and Conrad, I've decided to go back to our roots because uh, they're in the our very roots, first our roots of fruits. Yeah, in our very first episode of the Real Heroes, I um, I looked at a BuzzFeed list of um, interesting fruit facts, uh, and today I'm on a BuzzFeed list for twenty awesome fruits you've never even heard of. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I'll so, be the judge of that. Yeah, this is this is what I'm going for. Is if you've heard of the fruit, you get a point. If you haven't, you don't get a point. Oh, oh it's yep. like a okay. it's like a video game, but with fruit and in real life on a podcast. Uh, right. So num- uh, number one, Grenadia. No, I've never I've never heard of Grenadia. What is a grenadilla, Elodie? It's a, it's a it's similar to a passion fruit, and it has seeds covered in gelatinous, yummy pulp. Gelatinous, mm. yummy pulp. Yeah, it Who looks like pulp? it looks like frog spawn, actually. That's which is cool. Somewhat terrifying. Mm. Okay, so your next one is melons of Uzbekistan. The melons of Uzbekistan. Yeah, the- those are my favourite melons. That's an awfully specific regional melon. It really is, isn't it? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I, 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 if I had any idea that Uzbekistan had melons, I, you know, I, I'd have been able to call that. What makes the Uzbekistan melon special? It says, although they vary in flavor, one thing is for certain, and that is that this firm, fleshy melon is one of the best varieties in the world. Okay. Really it's would have liked flesh. some more concept of, you know, like, what it tastes like. But, okay. <laughs> Apparently it can vary in flavor, so... Yeah. Ooh, a, it's, it's, a, it's a diverse lineage of, of Uzbekistan fruit. Yeah. It's, it's like the everlasting gobstopper of fruit. Mm. Mm. It's Bertie Bot's every flavor melon. <laughs> Uh, your third one is Mangosteen. Mangosteen? That yeah. sounds like the name of a, of a crazy scientist. Yeah. That I sounds mean, like a... <laughs> that sounds like... That sounds like a character from, um... From, from a Double Fine game. It's, it, yeah, it's like a, a tropically festive mad scientist. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, Jacoby. Edward Jacoby yes. from Twin Peaks. That's would Jacobi's, be Dr. That's online handle. <laughs> uh, I'd actually heard of this one because um, the Pokemon Bounce Suite is based on it. Oh, uh, wow! Uh, it's according to this. It's white. The white pulpy part of the fruit is what you eat. It's slightly tangy, slightly sweet, and super cool looking. Okay, so we managed to get that much description of what. This mango steam tastes like, but I can't get an idea of what the melon of Uzbekistan. 
Like, Uzbekistan really needs to, like, up their game. Their chamber of commerce needs to be getting the word out about these melons if they're so great. I want to know what an Uzbekistan melon <laughs> tastes like. Hang on, I'm just opening up the Wikipedia page for the melon of Uzbekistan. Okay. Oh, apparently there's no Wikipedia page for it. Um, <laughs> what? But there is an, an information and facts page on specialtyproduce.com. Um, oh, that's my favorite website to go to. Mm. Um, the Uzbek Russian melon, which is another name for the melon of, of Uzbekistan, is a creamy yellow to green with faint horizontal stripes and a rough beige netting. Its flesh has a creamy ivory hue with an oval seed cavity. When ripe, its flesh is exceptionally sweet, succulent, and juicy, with a floral aroma and undertones of honey and spice. Thank you! Was that so difficult, list know, writer? Right? That sounds really good, though. I kind of want to try a melon of Uzbekistan. Yeah, <laughs> I'm into this. It sounds like they're describing a whiskey. <laughs> or, a, um, or a gin with the floral undertones. Mm-hmm. It's the gin of the melon world. Uh, since I doubt we're going to get through all 20, I'm just going to pick my favourites from the rest. Okay, we're doing them then. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sweet Sop. Nope. Uh, what? Sweet Sop. Sweet Sop? Yeah. Okay. It's apparently also sometimes known as a custard apple, and it tastes of custard. That's fucking amazing. Yeah, sign me up. I need that shit in my life. So, all this time I thought fruit sucked. But you, <laughs> got, you got custard flavored fruit? I'm in. 100%. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, uh, what a time to be alive. The next one is Palmyra fruit. Palm That sounds familiar. It does. But I I wouldn't be able to identify it, so I'm going to say no. Okay. Well, it's similar to a lychee but way bigger and with no pet. Sign me up. That yeah. sounds amazing. That's feed. Giant lychees. So we got no points so far. Jackfruit. Oh, no. the jackfruit. I know the jackfruit. There you go. You got one point. Did what did you say, Conrad? Uh no, no, I don't. Okay, Jack no, jackfruit. It says here that it's like a cross between a mango, banana, apple, pineapple, and a hedgehog. But the main thing that I know about jackfruit is that you can use it to make very good vegetarian pulled pork. Ooh. Yeah, like it has a uh, it has a sort of um, uh, porky consistency. So when you pull it apart, it goes stringy in that same way that pork does. It's really good. What yeah. is this vegetarian obsession with making foods that seem like meat? I think it's just. Um, I think like it's why just... can't why can't you just call it pulled fruit or pulled whatever it's called? You know, you gotta liken it to pulled pork. Well, if you if you got something like an actual meat substitute, it's better to say um, meat-free chicken it's, pieces it's, than it is to say reconstituted mushroom squares. Okay, but these are not th these are not a meat substitute because meat provides protein. Well, it's like a hey, you like you, you, you did you like this thing before before you before went, you made you... this this decision that goes against biology. <laughs> I wipe a tear away. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm sorry. No, I mean, no, no disrespect. If you want to eat vegetarian, by all means, do that. I could not give up meat. I personally see it as an as a monumental act of willpower. 
that I'm not willing to execute. And I'm sure that I could balance my health better if I just... I think it really should just be less meat. I could be a whole lot healthier if I ate less meat, I guess. I don't think that's called red lactarianism. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, in, I'm in favor of that. I just did, and you can find the substitutes. You can find ways to get protein and supplement a diet entirely vegetarian, and that's fine. I just it, it cuts off so many options for me. I could never do it. I that's totally fair. Like, don't blame me like, at all. Like, I mean, it's I I make vegetarian meals from time to time. You know, things like I like I make a meatloaf out of lentils. That's pretty good. That sounds so good. Right, but there, you know, I just made a comparison to meat in that process. I think, it's, it's, I think it's just that that most of our ideas about what food is shaped and tastes like, meal-wise, is based on meat, so it's easier for people to just use a recipe and put a substitute in. I just feel like we could, you know, advertise it a whole lot better, I think, instead of just, you know... I think there are a lot of opportunities to come up with some really snazzy, like, names that yeah. look good on adverts. Like, good branding for it if you want it because it uh, having a little bit of that you know strictly vegetarian food in your diet is certainly a good thing too and and can be promoted as such i there's such a uh an emphasis on vegan and vegetarianism being a lifestyle choice that i think is maybe not the best way to get people to eat more greens Mm. you know uh uh, speaking of greens, oh yes, the oh. next fruit is the Spanish lime. The Spanish lime. I yeah. Yeah, I think I've heard of the Spanish lime. What's the Spanish lime? Although it looks like a lime and tastes like a lime, it is not a lime. It's more lychee-like, and to boot, it's also not Spanish, as it comes from Central and South America. Whoop <laughs> whoop. I'm not taking the point for that, but <laughs> okay. Next one. Noni fruit. The noni fruit! <laughs> okay. That's beautiful. Does it have no knees? Is it very stiff and <laughs> unable to bend? Apparently it's known for its foul smell and nasty taste, and it's usually used for medicinal purposes. Oh, okay. Okay. Alright. That's uh, fair. Aki. Uh... Aki. Aki. Yeah. A-K-I? No, A-C-K-E-E. A-C-K-E-E. What is an Aki? It's the national fruit of Jamaica. Oh, you son of a bitch! How do we not know about this, then? Part of its national dish, Aki and Cod. The national dish is this fruit and some fish with it. Wow. Yeah, I know. It is to be eaten cooked, as the unripe raw form contains hypoglycin. Which Ooh. is a poison. Okay, the oh. next one is La Cucha. Oh, okay, that's my favourite. That really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's uh, apparently, it tastes like a kiwi, but it has the muskiness of a breadfruit. Muskiness, yes, that's always what I... Uh, that That is an <laughs> adjective I want applied to my fruit. Yes. Musky. Well, if- if you like muskiness, then you'll like eleven, which is the wood apple. I have heard of the wood apple. Okay, that's a oh. point each now. Oh, oh. Uh, I so I don't know at what point this became a competition, but I'm glad that it is now because. <laughs> well, it became a competition right now because up to this point, I had nothing on the board. 
<laughs> Apparently, it's a mushy, fermented, raisin-tasting fruit. Huh. Which just sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm. 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 I'm all right with raisins, but the way that's described makes me never want to try it. Okay, right. The next one. Sorry. No. 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 Go ahead. The next one is Buddha's hand. Buddha's hands. Yeah. No, I've never, I've never touched Buddha's hands. Well, the what it looks like is it looks like a bunch of writhing finger tentacles made of orange skin, which is basically what it is. Apparently, it's just, um, it's just like the outside of orange is, and you can, um, you can grate it down okay. and use it for making marmalade. I bet you could also use it to masturbate. I'm sure you could, because if you want Buddha's hands inside of you... Yeah. You can. Oh, you wow. Can. You can. <laughs> that is That is definitely a path to enlightenment, if I've ever heard it. Actually, uh, <laughs> looking at it, shoving that thing up there. I mean, it looks like a feather duster. Are but, we... like, deep-fried. It looks like a deep-fried <laughs> feather yes, duster. Yes, that is exactly what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I just looked this up. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like next a one... McFeather duster. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is the Hala fruit. Oh yeah, I know the Hala fruit. Okay. Oh, shit. Conrad's taking the lead, then. Oh no. Each little section or leaf is called a key, which contains flavorful seeds. And it allows you to um, cast the Kamehameha. Yeah, it's a... It's it's a cactus fruit. Yeah. So, I, and I, I lived in uh, Phoenix for 20 years, so, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, the next one, I actually really like the It's actually it, Choya huh? fruit, but... Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next one is Jabuticaba. What? That sounds like a thing that Jabba the Hutt said. Jabuticaba. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, uh, they grow on the side of trees like little fruit barnacles. Huh. Little fruit barnacles. And you can pop one in your my m mouth, not mouth. Squeeze out the inner grape-like flesh and spit out the skin and seeds. Hmm. Which sounds like a lot more effort than just eating a grape. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which you can even get seedless now. You can, mm, thanks yeah. to the, the magical powers of science. And, 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 and big aggro, I mean. Yeah, big aggro, yeah. God love uh, it. The Poisoning us a little each day. The next one is another favourite of mine. The Star Apple, which I won't tell you what the um the other name for it is because I've it's heard fantastic. of the Star Apple. You've heard of it? Yeah. Okay. So is this I um... I've seen this, but I didn't know what it was called. So yeah, that's cool. Uh it's also known as the breast milk. Breast milk fruit. The breast Delicious. milk fruit. Nice. Yeah. Organic. Uh, so was was that a point to both that of That ties you us up, yeah. Yeah. Oh, damn. oh. oh. no, it doesn't. So, no, you're no, still slightly ahead of me. Oh, am I still one ahead? Yeah. yeah. I think it's 3-2 at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, snake fruit. No. 
I've not heard of the snake fruit. It it's it looks like Does a Does it have um... a crotch bulge? <laughs> we'll get onto that in a bit. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, it it's basically a little fruit that looks like it's got snake skin. The yeah, a little bit. Like a, oh, that's quite cool. Garlicky thing. Mm. Yeah, it looks almost like an like. Actually, there's a an image here with the pit that it has. It looks like an avocado, that's just lo- more brown and textured. Yeah, it looks like yeah. an avocado mixed with a garlic mixed with a dragon egg. Yeah. Speaking of dragons, oh. Longan, sometimes known as the Dragon Eye. Oh, hmm. okay. I've not come across that one. I know, I know about the dragon fruit. Yeah, the dragon fruit, I, I would know, but yeah, I don't know the long, longan. Longan. Apparently, it, it's another one that's a bit like a lychee. Yeah. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm starting to. Okay. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to say that I'm detecting a cultural bias in these fruits, <laughs> but there sure is a lot of lychee-like stuff that they, that they they seem to think. We're not gonna get, and they're not wrong. <laughs> mm. But I'm definitely noticing the trend. Okay, the next one is sapodilla, sometimes known as the chico fruit. Sapodilla. I, Sunset no, sapodilla. I'm. I don't know that. I. I'm thinking of something else. It's but. apparently got a uh, pear-like flesh. Um, with a malty taste and a tannic mouth-drying quality, which is exactly what I like to put into my mouth. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, your penultimate fruit is the feijoa, also known as the guavastine or pineapple guava. I like the guavastine because it's another one of those ones that sounds like a mad scientist. Yeah, it's, uh, it's mangosteen's cousin. Yes. Who is another a beach mad scientist? Mm. It's the science division of Margaritaville. Yes. <laughs> um, what is what's the final fruit? Uh, the final fruit. This is one that I'm going to be surprised if either of you don't get it because it's the durian. Oh sure, yeah. 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 I, I thought for sure that I, actually, I, and again, I'm going to point out this cultural bias thing that I'm detecting. Yeah, this is another one of those eastern fruits that we, you know, we just don't see a lot of in the West. Uh, but yeah, I mean, everyone should know the durian. It's the it's the stinky fruit. Yeah, hmm. apparently it's got putridly sweet custard-like flesh, according to BuzzFeed. And I, I've never I've never had it. So um, it's cu- custard and lychee is kind of the thing here, but Conrad wins by one point. No! <laughs> and that was probably our longest fruit discovery segment yet, because usually yeah, I get we're bored. We're not padding this out because we have no idea what's going to happen afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. That's a, a ridiculous suggestion. Do you know how long that fruit discovery section was? 20 minutes. Yeah! <laughs> yep. <laughs> Insert the music here. Welcome to the Real Heroes podcast with me, George Johnson. And me, Elodie Cunningham. Uh, where we shine a light on the Forgotten Heroes of Gaming. Today, we're going to be discussing the Metal Gear franchise with the absolutely lovely Conrad Zimmerman. 
Hello, I'm Conrad Zimmerman. I've been instructed to introduce myself. Uh, Conrad is from <laughs> podcasts with old cold piss in them. Oh yeah, I do. I yeah, I'm. Uh, I guess I'm a, a a writer and editor and entertainer. If you can sense the air quotes I put around that. Uh, I, I did. I heard that in your voice. I heard yeah. the, the air quotes. The air quotes. Are, I did it physically, too, but I realized that the mic's probably not going to pick that That's up. That's all right. It came, it came off in, in the, the indentations of your voice. I, I've actually I've started calling myself a comedian because I realized that I've been doing a podcast for like a couple of years now that m- I make money off of, and its intent is comedy. Whether or not it's successful... I'm, I'm I, I making find, money for comedy. I find Fish Shark very funny. So well, thank you. That's that's very mm. kind. Yeah. So I do a, a podcast called Fish Shark Marketing and another podcast uh, called The Spinoff Doctors, both with the movie uh, boys. isn't it called the Movie Boys? Yeah, like, it's uh, the Movie Boys. There is another Movie Boys podcast now. <laughs> is there? There what? is, someone and and someone and uh, like we brought this up. I think on the most recent episode uh, in passing. Uh, oh, that's the only one I haven't listened to. So there's there is a uh, yeah it just started up like in June. It's called the Movie Boys, and I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, but uh, good good for those guys and their podcast, and I, and I hope it does very well. Uh, but it I hope it doesn't cause confusion for people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only concern. Hopefully, uh, it doesn't cause confusion regarding the the. Like the name of your podcast that is not actually the name of it. Well, and the, the tricky thing about it too is that it's part of the Jimquisition feed and under mm. its umbrella. So, like every third episode or every third podcast on the Jimquisition feed is an episode of the Spinoff Doctors. And that's got to make it difficult to find and and like I listen suppose, to. Yeah. And if you don't want to listen to Jimquisition, which I can't imagine why you wouldn't. Uh, it's very good. It is very good. Uh, it's just, it doesn't have me. That's, yeah. Which yeah. I suppose is a downside of, of that podcast. Depending we, on, on how you feel about me, yes. We've had representatives from two out of three of the podcasts on that feed now. Oh, yeah? Because we had Laura. We've got you. Um, we've not had anyone from... Jim won't give Ian his VR yet. <laughs> well, your options are, are maybe more yeah. limited there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and I have I, I really liked that show too. Actually, I thought that was, I, I, I hope so. it does so more. Uh, I, I hope so too. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, I do that, and then um, I also do some other work with some game development, and uh, mostly just just bumming around and, and trying to be a general nuisance, uh, I guess, is, is what I am. Yeah. So that's me. You, you uh, can find me on Twitter and harangue um, me. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll say our actual Twitter handles at the end, as usual. Whatever. But uh, for now, um, video games? Yeah, that's the other oh, thing. Shit. Like, I've done all yeah. these video game podcasts over the years where the explicit goal was to not talk about video games. Uh, yeah. So this is going to be a unique challenge for me. Yeah, I, I mean... We're actually talking about them. We're right. At, we're, nominally, we're actually talking about video games, but we are 23 minutes into the recording, and we... So I'm doing my job. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So Metal Gear, I have mm. actually never played Metal Gear. What are your, your experience with it? I've played like bits of it around people's houses, but that's it. Mm. I played. Uh, oh, I I encountered the first one at some point, like uh, like nineteen ninety nine, maybe when I was. Uh, I, either when I was just at, in, just just getting out of high school, or just going to college, and um, you know, it was an obsession. I think as it was for a lot of people, because it's just this sort of twisty, complicated, crazy, over the top story with these interesting characters, and and it, it feels very stream of consciousness almost, oh, yeah. uh, even though it's it's very clearly all sort of deliberately laid out. Uh, and you know, it's, it's so like when the second one came around, I was, you know, I got it for Christmas as a gift for my mother, and I read nothing, I read nothing, and and it had been out for like two months by that point, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I had no, I was still, I still got to be surprised by Raiden, <laughs> um, and then that character showing up and it turning it completely on its head, and and that's when I came to appreciate uh, who Hideo Kojima is. He's a, a liar and a prankster. And yes. uh, and that's fine, like because you you pick up a Hideo Kojima game, and the one thing that you can expect is that he's going to surprise you in some way with mm. with something you could not possibly have anticipated. He's going to he's going to zig when when you were expecting him to zag somewhere along the line, and you're going to yeah. be like, "This is fucking terrible. What have you done? This is a bad story <laughs> you're writing." Um, and then maybe he redeems himself by the end. Maybe not. It, it, yeah. Like, he is... He, he Like you said, he's definitely a liar and a prankster. A liar and a prankster and a huge nerd for really shit action movies from the 1980s. Oh, my God, yes. Like, this... Well, I mean, the whole escape from New York... But I, I actually don't think it's just, you know, that obsession with 80s movies, though he's clearly uh, a Carpenter fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's obsession with movies generally. Yes. Uh, that's I get the I get the sense, much like David Cage, that the fantasy was always to work in movies. Mm. And the as, only difference is that his implementation is far better than David Cage's. It's, it's very different, certainly. Mm. Uh, I don't. I would. I think you can make an argument as to whether or not it's better. Neither yeah. of them can tell a coherent story. You make, you make a good point. Mm. Um, neither of them are able to effectively convey emotions mm. through their products. Yes. Um, did, I mean, did, did someone say emotions? <laughs> like you, you look at the, the what are like supposed to be the uh, emotional, emotionally resonant parts of Metal Gear as a as a series. You know, the mm. Sniper Wolf. Um, Hal Emmerich relationship, um, some of the sunny stuff in MGS4. Um, mm. e- even I think Eva, you're supposed to get this. You're supposed to have this emotional reaction, not just lustful, although yes. there is plenty of that thrown into MGS3. Oh, definitely. Um, but I think I think you're supposed to have a, a real sort of a, a sense of it. None of it is. Yeah, that's probably the best one, but I, I, that's generally my opinion, is that Metal Gear Solid mm. 3 is, is the best one. 
Do you know? Um, I, I, I feel I, like sorry. I f- I, that's right. Uh, I feel like um, for me personally, the um, the the emotive aspects of the uh, air quotes emotive aspects of the Metal Gear games um, are heightened to a to such a degree of absurdity they that they then become impossible to empathise with, while simultaneously while simultaneously even more possible to empathize with due to their absurdity. Well, it ventures into the realm of self-parody a lot, I yes. think. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I feel like, as well, the Metal Gear series as a whole, um, it definitely feels like uh, Kojima took a lot of inspiration from um, some of David Lynch's work. I can see some of that. But, like, the thing... that I think the, th- the, the big difference between Kojima and Lynch is that um, Lynch's work um, is purely exists to convey emotion um, but because <laughs> um, but Kojima like Kojima ba- it seems like Kojima takes inspiration from everything but the pure conveying of emotion of David Lynch's works if that makes sense well just in terms of escalation um, mm. raising of stakes uh, discomfort. I mean, that's an emotion that that they can get across. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's intentional. Sometimes, mm, definitely see, see Eva sexualizing herself again. Um, yeah. Uh, also, breathing through one's skin as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, it's. I think it is a testament. To to the broad general level of absurdity in that series, that he can say, "Oh, she breathes through her skin," and you have to stop for a moment <laughs> and yeah. think, "Well, uh, I guess." <laughs> yeah, I mean, is that the weirdest fucking thing he's done here? That he is mm. somehow that we have somehow managed to rationalize. I'm not yeah, convinced. I feel like I feel like it's a testament to like how consistently absurd that world is that we can take something as absurd as, as that and question its question the sense that it makes in the greater absurd universe of Metal Gear. Well, he fit it in. Like he fit it in very nicely. I mean, it's all derived from the Cobra units uh guy the end and his ability to photosynthesize like there's precedent it's built in and and okay so is this like the longest con like when he was coming up at the end and this was he thinking all right later down the line this is good now (laughs) i'm going to take this concept of a man who is bold so that he can absorb light uh, and, and I'm going to use it to justify a nearly nude woman character. I mean, I have to commend Kojima for the work that he put in in order to justify that sexualization. Like, if anything, like he 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 at least like he at least did his did his preparation. Um, like there was a there was a lot of build up to that moment. <laughs> no, yeah, but he well, he he laid the groundwork. You know, he put mm. the work in. He he managed to. I mean, basically, yeah, he managed to make something that was so silly 
that he then would have to compete with himself to see how far we'd continue to swallow it. And I guess the answer to that question is a virus that strips your focal cords and turns you into a plant. I guess in some ways that it, like this itself is also very reflective of the way that David Lynch makes films. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a bit comparative point. Um, but um, the, the, um, the way David Lynch makes films is taking the seemingly mundane and escalating it to such a scale of absurdity that you start to question the relevance of its mundanity. Um, if that's a word. I'm going to pretend it is. Mundanity. It flow conversation. Um, it is a word. But yeah, and I feel like in in escalating how absurd the character of um, I've forgotten the name of the character. Uh, <laughs> I was Wh- which so character well. do you mean? Which animal is it? Which animal? Um, the naked photosynthesis woman. Oh, quiet. That, quiet. Yeah. Quiet. Yes, and in like. In the creation of Quiet as a character, like we, in in all of the escalations of absurdity that exist around her existence as a character, we start to question the mundane. Yeah, it's this quite just, beautiful. It's just a a, a a a grain of sand on a vast beach. Yes, a f- fucking crazy shit <laughs> that's thrown Real in great. there. The real grain of sand was the friends we made along the way. Oh, we always make that joke on this podcast. <laughs> I had to I had to get it in, and I thought that would probably be the worst moment to do it, so I thought it would be the best moment to do it. Exactly, that's how it works. Um, <laughs> I feel like I feel like maybe David Lynch is the real hero of Metal Gear. Well, I think oh, I don't if, know. If that's your contender, then we'll, we'll go into it at the end. I because... had some others. I had some others. Okay. Well, we can decide at the end who who each of us is going to go to bat for because yeah. uh, my 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 particular preference uh, is Snake's crotch <laughs> from Super Smash Brothers Brawl. We were going to lead you into that, weren't we? That was the plan. We were going to like find a way to work our way towards Solid Snake's crotch, and you just couldn't wait. Uh, yeah, no, I couldn't wait because it's so important <laughs> that I talk about the fact that it exists and yeah. it's massive and defined. And I think that it's actually Hideo Kojima's um, self-insert character who is really mm. driving the plot. Are you it's... saying that Snake's crotch bulge is Hideo Kojima? It's Hideo Kojima piloting snake like a mech suit (laughs) i can i can imagine hideo kojima writing this character of snake and the character of snake would have named his penis hideo (laughs) (laughs) this half japanese half american man that works that fits i can see it so yeah i i think you may be right um and it's it a... would make sense considering how large the bulge is that it does actually, in fact, house a cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Just oh t- my god! I didn't realise it what? until I said it. Oh, you see, now here I thought you were being incredibly clever. 
<laughs> See, if I was incredibly clever, I would have thought to not mention that I didn't realise the genius of what I just said, but apparently not. Uh, um, well, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't I, know. I think, I think the real heroes of Metal Gear are Konami. <laughs> And I know this is that, a, this is a, a bit of a left field suggestion. Well, yeah. I know a lot of people don't have a lot of love for Konami at this point. Like, mm-hmm. They have uh, clearly demonstrated that they're no longer interested in serving the uh, retail consumer gaming market. Uh, they are much more interested in their the gambling end of their business. And were I an investor in Konami, I would be like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Why are we spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to, you know, and financial risk on these projects when we have this stuff that literally prints money? Mm. That's, uh, like, for me, I lo- like, I love video games. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and Konami... Uh, like, the, like a does pair not love of video games, just, just like a <laughs> like, like a pair of perfectly shaped, like the perfectly shaped balls that Solid Snake no doubt has. Mm. You know, mm. Konami cradles many licenses that I have a great affection for. They they cradle many smooth criminals down under. Right, and. So it's unfortunate knowing that they're never going to, or it seems very unlikely that they're ever going to give those franchises the respect and opportunity that I think that they deserve and the opportunity in the marketplace that they deserve. Now, if they, if they want to li- start licensing some of this stuff out to people, I, I, that, that could be amazing, actually. Mm. That could be really, really good if Konami... Absolutely had the interest and the presence of mind to say, we have all of this great material. We don't want to make video games anymore, but we can make money off of other people making video games with little, with limited risk and a little bit of oversight. Mm. If they can allow that to happen, we could have a renaissance of a lot of the great Konami stuff. And so uh, now they're... I, I I don't have any hope of that. Like they are, from what I understand, from what I've read, and from people I've talked to who have had the opportunity to work with them over the years, uh, they're not a great company to work with. Um, just based on what I understand, and I know I know that's probably shocking to people who hear that, uh, because they I, seem like my such. My jaw is literally through the floor at that statement. Right? They seem like such great guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, they certainly do not have a uh, public relations problem at all. Definitely not. <laughs> uh, so, but here, here's the thing about Konami, and then, and what all of this is is leading to is the real hero of Metal Gear is Konami because they saved Hideo Kojima from the monster he created. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I see your point. There, there was, he was not going anywhere. He was not, you know, he was, he was loyal to Konami. 
He was not going to leave. He was going to continue to push these out because the market forces demanded it. His masters at Konami demanded it. And Metal Gear Solid Five, probably, I mean, just when you look at how much is not in that game, mm. um, development on it could have gone on another two, three years. And he'd been miserable. And uh, I, I really think that as awful as uh, from reports, you know, the way that Kojima was treated by this company, to which he gave so much, like no dispute or argument there. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly unfortunate the way he was treated, but I ultimately think it's the best thing for him. Because so he, what you're saying is that Konami is the real hero for being so shit that Hideo Kojima left and is now, like, a much happier person for it. And Metal Gear Solid can come to an end before it's utterly irrecoverable. There is because one issue with oh, this. You can only escalate so far, right? I mean, that's... It, 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 there's there's an upward limit, and and you can see in various forms of, of entertainment over the years where nonstop escalation goes wrong. Dexter, for instance, the popular television show Once Upon a Time. Uh, that's the one that crosses over all the fairy tales and gets increasingly more convoluted. Yep. Yep. There's yeah, that's a great example. Dexter I mean, it's is, got, is it's got it's got Robert Carlyle in it. That's all right. Dexter does it really badly. Uh, it always needs to. Uh, it, it builds itself to such a pitch that you then have to have an entire season of downtime in order to keep the story going because it's impossible to keep going up any higher. Uh, the housing market in two thousand eight, same deal. <laughs> you know, it, the housing yeah. market in two thousand eight is the real hero of Metal Gear, to be honest. <laughs> um, I found one issue with this line of thinking, though. Well, uh, all it, I'm saying is Konami prevented a Metal Gear bubble. Well, no, because um, there is one issue, and it rhymes with Fettel Beer Plugive. Is this the, the new one that's coming out? Metal Gear Survive. Uh, that's fine. One, it doesn't it, matter. It doesn't, <laughs> no one's going no to care about it. If it doesn't have Hideo Kojima's name attached to it, no one's going to be interested. Yeah, it's I, it is doomed to failure. I think, um, I, think I, I, I I think a similar but not as um but not as extreme comparison can be made to the the big boss pachinko machine. Yep. Um in that pachinko is going to do well regardless of what the branding of that pachinko is, but it's not going to have the same um backing behind it. I mean, how we if, ran we ran into it with Revengeance. Mm. And which is a crying shame because Revengeance was a very good game. It was well. That's the thing. It's a, it was a damn good game, and and there are I'm sure a lot of fans who are like fuck this, and and admittedly it is it is goofy in its own different way, mm. right? It has that platinum silly attached. It's got to that it. platinum like over the top action anime sort of silly to it, right? Is so it's different tonally. But, um, yeah, it's a really solid game, but I, I, I have no, no doubt in my mind that there are people out there who were just completely unwilling to give it a chance on yeah. the basis that Kojima wasn't involved. And 
this, I mean, doesn't even have a blessing from the guy. So... Mm. Uh, what, what I think is the case here is that the actual, um... The player character from Metal Gear is always Hideo Kojima, and what happens is he jettisons from his his cockpit <laughs> whenever a character, whenever a new main character is involved, uh, climbs up into their urethra and takes over. <laughs> so every time there's a new character, it's um, it's Hideo Kojima piloting a different person. I'm forever going to have the image of Hideo Kojima climbing up a urethra burned into my psyche. Uh, New character, same crotch. The um, real hero of Metal Gear is urethra. (laughs) That Um, actually sounds like it could be the name of a Metal Gear character. (laughs) It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. Urethra Marmoset is my um, (laughs) Metal Gear. That's your Metal Gear name? (laughs) That's my Metal Gear name. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> What's Urethra Marmoset's, um, like, thing? Because all of the characters have a thing. Urethra Marmoset shoots people with a gun. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> that's, that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, and that gun, yeah, uh-huh. it, it's, it's really big and cool, and it's, okay. got, it's got a big laser sight that actually shoots lasers. On it. I mean, this, this, all of this does sound like it is in a Metal Gear game already. And it does. Uh, and is also married to Solid Snake and Revolver Ocelot and um, all of the rest of my best friends from Metal Gear. <laughs> they're all they're all married to um, Yuri from Armaset. Oh my goodness. That, I, I, I should imagine that's quite an interesting plot arc to see unfold. But, yeah, I think the thing is that um, the reason why the next um, Metal Gear Survive can't be canon, because they've said it's set in a new version of the universe... Well, then, again, because uh, that's the, half the allure, is, yeah. is this freaking world. But yeah. I, I think the reason why it can't be set in the same version of the universe is because you literally can't play in that universe unless Hideo Kojima's in charge, <laughs> or at least somewhat involved, because he needs to be there to enter urethras. It's true. Oh, okay. I see. Uh, if you zoom in really far into any crotch of any character, you can like get into the cockpit and Hideo Kojima will turn around to your camera and just wink at you and do a thumbs up. Whilst the Snake Eater theme tune plays, regardless of what game it is, even if it's a game that came up before Snake Eater. Mm. Hmm. I, I, I think I figured out what my Metal Gear Solid name would be. Okay. Emaciated Toad. That's a pretty. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good name. If you lick my belly, you'll see shit. <laughs> Same. I feel like that would be part of. I feel like that would be a mission in a Metal Gear game. Like you lick the be- you lick the belly of Emaciated Toad. Uh, yeah, that's like the, that's like sneaking quest. up on the end. Figure out where the Metal Gear is. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to sneak up and lick Emaciated Toad's belly without them realising that you're you doing to, it. 
you have to lick emaciated toad's belly using your uh, your CQC. Um. <laughs> it's so that you can you can detect the uh, the location of the metal gear. Yeah, you'll see the path through the forest to it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to wade through a river of, of ghostly corpses for about three hours whilst you figure out what the fuck is going on. <laughs> how how awful would it be to be Snake on Hallucinogens? It's so bad. It would be so bad. It's like, like just Metal Gears everywhere. Like, everywhere. Because they already are. And now he's just going to be imagining them places. Yeah, Snake Psyche is like, you know when you're you're in Skyrim and you console command in 50 bears in the same place at once? Um, that, but they're all Metal Gears, and that is Snake Psyche. Why did they make the legs fleshy? <laughs> That's something I've always asked myself. And it's something that also loops into Metal Gear Solid 4 with the, um, the giant walker robots that yeah. move. Yeah, that, that was always the most the, unsettling thing about that game to me. The geckos. Like, I, I don't... Why did we... Why did we... And why are they called geckos if they sound like cows? Well, the, well, the whole roaring thing in general that these machines do is just completely weird and unnecessary. And I, and I think he even wrote in justification for that too, didn't he? Isn't that the whole Peace Walker thing? That there's, like, a mammal uh, brain and a reptile brain that they've developed for artificial intelligences to create the... Oh, my God. He did. Something like that, probably. I don't know for sure, but it sounds like it would make sense. This is the thing. He's bulletproof. The whole thing is bulletproof by virtue of it having so many holes. It's like shooting a gun (laughs) at a chain-link fence. Yes, it is. It's brilliant. You can't take it apart because it's already taken itself apart to the degree where it's completely infallible. It makes <laughs> it makes so little sense that it makes complete sense. <laughs> it is the Ouroboros of of plot design. I think Fat Man is the most important video game character in the Metal Gear Solid franchise. The Who's that? the guy on the roller skates with the the beverages. Yes. The guy on the roller skates with the beverages and the really high collar. He's the one that I... Oh, he was the one I always forgot when playing Metal Gear Solid 2. And that's why he's the most important character. Because oh. he may have been forgotten by many of the of the fans of that video game. But I feel like he was also quite a monumental beacon of, um, of body acceptance. Because Fat Man, by virtue of his name, is a fat man. Um, he decided to call himself Fat Man because he was proud of his fatness and encourages people to grow fat in order to appreciate life more. He's quoted as saying, laugh and grow fat. I think his name is a reference to the atomic bomb. It is a reference to the atomic bomb used to destroy Nagasaki in World War II, but I feel like it's a double entendre, much like many of Ramstein's songs. Um, <laughs> and the um, yeah, I, I he really is like he he's okay with his body. He is. He's very very comfortable with who he is. Do you know who's he not was, comfortable sorry, with their was, body? Spoilers. He was very uncomfortable with who he was. Um, <laughs> um, 
Um. 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 Oh. <laughs> you said um as if you were going to carry on that sentence and then just went silent. I feel like the most important part of Fat Man <laughs> is that um, he once had a child arch nemesis called Little Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that quite a lot. <laughs> I know. It's wonderful, isn't it? And Little like Fat Man, of course, he was named after one of the atomic bombs used in World War II. Yeah. In this case, the plutonium bomb dropped in Nagasaki. There we go. There we go. Well, yeah, that's that was... Actually, I, I was listening to another podcast. Um, what? I know. You listen to other podcasts? I, I do. I do. Actually, and I've only just recently started listening to podcasts. Like, I've been making them for years and years, but it's only the last, like, year that I've started listening to them. Which is pretty awful. Uh, but I was listening to one of the Crooked Media podcasts. It was probably... Um, no, no, it was Black on the Air, Larry Wilmore's podcast. Uh, Larry Wilmore of The Nightly mm-hmm. Show and, and lots and lots of other really, really good um, American sitcom entertainment. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, they, this whole North Korea, United States thing that's going on right now, he was talking oh, with yeah. Bill Maher, and Bill Maher said, oh, it's, it's Fat Boy and it, 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 it's, it's, it's Fat Man and Little Boy all over again. You got Donald Trump and oh yeah, and and it's just come all the way right back around. I, Who I, knew I, World War Three would be started by Fat Man and Little Boy? Well, I'm. The thing is that both could be either, so I'm not sure which one's which. In no, this. Kim Jong Un's a little boy. Like he he may Trump may act like it, but he's the fat man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. If we were going for if we were going for more literal, like, physical ones, I think you'd go the other way around. You think so? I think it's... Well, I mean, he's... Trump, I don't know. Trump has... Well, mostly he just has... Have you seen Trump on the golf li- course? He has little hands, so... Like, don't don't be deceived by the suits that that man <laughs> wears. They are designed to be slimming. The, the best photos yeah. of Trump are, are him on the golf course in a polo shirt. So hot. So hot. <laughs> yeah, oh, you can no. you can see what uh, you can really see what Ivanka closes her eyes, tries to pretend doesn't exist. No, uh, it's all you right can really there. See what hap- you can really see what happens when Milo Yiannopoulos closes his eyes and oh oh oh. I don't uh, say that man's speak- name. Speaking of discomfort, <laughs> <Hey-o>. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, who is. Hot Coldman? Who is Hot Coldman? Hot Coldman, I think... Now, if I remember correctly, Hot Coldman was like a CIA director uh, who... He's the one that plotted the assassination of um, the boss and engineered, you know, uh, big bosses. He, he engineered the events of Metal Gear Solid 3. He's the guy behind all of that. And so, that in a sense... He also headed the development of the Peace Walker Project in Costa Rica. He could be seen as the... Uh, uh, as the hero of Metal Gear Solid. Do you know what I think makes it even more heroic that he did... He's so instrumental to the plot is the fact that he is simultaneously hot and cold all of the time. Mm. Must be very distracting. 
and so if he can, can you, get through that, can you imagine what what how instrumental to? I mean, it just says to be. me that Kojima's really, really, really running out of ideas mm. <laughs> for for character names. Hot Coldman. <laughs> I mean, it really reaches its apex with Quiet. It's true. It's like, okay, how how lazy did you have to be to come up with Quiet? Mm. That's just sad. We we've gone from word animal to just words that describes this person. Yes. If he'd continued, we would have had um, tall and uh, I can't think of any more words that describe people. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to know a fun fact about Hot Coldman? Okay, tell me a fun fact. voiced about- by H. Richard Green. H. Richard Green plays Jim Hobart in the Mad Men TV series. Oh. Hmm. I I watched some of that that Mad Men. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of interesting. And then I yeah, I watched uh, I watched a couple seasons of it and then I went ahead and watched the last episode, like just the last 10 minutes of it, just to see him having the idea for the Coca-Cola ad. Mm. <laughs> and then I moved on. Oh, spoilers spoilers yeah. for Mad Men. <laughs> Spoilers for Mad Men, he, he, he comes up with the Coca-Cola ad. You know, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. That, 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 that's, that's the madman guy's idea. Okay. That's, so that, yeah. He's the real hero. He's the real hero of Metal Gear Solid. Of Metal Gear Solid. Don Draper, yeah. Oh, oh. well, I mean, there is a link. Uh, the fact that they have a voice actor in both, you could argue that they do share a universe. Mm. Could I? Yeah, you could. That doesn't seem like a particularly strong argument to make, though. <laughs> we we had we had an episode that was just a conspiracy theory based entirely on the on me thinking that an actor in Star Wars Episode One, the Phantom Menace's name, was different than what it actually is. Huh. Uh, and we and managed we to spin that into a 30 minute conspiracy theory it was quite fantastic basically uh, Pokemon shares the same universe with a lot of other franchises including Star Wars um, and other well, than I mean it's you know it's not certainly it's certainly not unheard of uh, Stephen King got really fucking lazy in the Dark Tower and eventually just decided so you know what it's not enough that all of my books have to do with this. We gotta make all of literature have to do with this. Uh, my, my, my work is so important that I need to put it at the nexus of all culture. Yep. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you know, I... Don't, don't make me change my mind about how I felt when you got hit by that van. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, no, I mean... My first, my first thought, uh, when Stephen King got hit by that van was not, "Oh my God, I hope he's okay." That was my second thought. My first thought was, "Did he finish the Dark Tower?" <laughs> so I feel like that's gonna. I feel like it's gonna be a similar situation when uh, when George R. R. Martin eventually kicks the bucket. Mm. People are gonna. People aren't gonna think. Oh God, is he okay? They're going to think. Did he finish the fucking series? Sure, 
Sure, of course they will. Because I, I, I'm fairly certain he will not have done it by the time he has passed away. Mm. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm, I don't know anything about Game of Thrones other than George R. R. Martin does it, and that that yeah. that that people kill each other, and it's a very sort of polit- It's not my scene. I love some of his other work. Like he was the editor of a um, a superhero series of books called Wild Cards. That's amazing. Oh, I, I've, um, I've heard of it. So good. I've only ever read the uh, Game of Thrones books, though, of the things that he's written. Yeah, I mean, he's and, and it, this is really like a collaborative project. Like, he's yeah. the editor that sort of oversees it because the way the books are organized, it, the first two are just short story collections that are all mm. set in this shared world. And then the third book resolves threads established by all of those short stories into one novel written by several people you know each contributing their own characters that they wrote about in the short stories and and they're and weaving it all together and it's really like just if you like experimental fiction which it, I do. it carries off surprisingly well this process because that third book feels cohesive and, okay, cool. and they do. They did a series of these three book sets. Um, I think there were three or four of them in the first run, and then uh, sometime around 2000, uh, iBooks started publishing them, republishing them, and were supposed to be adding an additional trilogy on. And I don't know if they ever got to that, but uh, interesting stuff. It's mostly set in the 80s, and that's an interesting time to set sci-fi fiction uh so yeah i i dig that um cool but martin yeah martin's gonna be i, I don't think martin's gonna finish uh, yeah. uh, it's and he's getting on a bit but and but there's there are other uh robert heinlein did the same thing uh the venerated science fiction author who made like the biggest about face in sci-fi in terms of mm. like what he was writing uh, he started out his career with this very sort of militaristic sci-fi, hard sci-fi stuff. And then, come, you know, it's the same guy that decades later writes Stranger in a Strange Land, which is the most hippie, pinko, commie shit ever. Um, great book, or at least interesting book. Yeah, that sounds like something right up my alley. <laughs> oh, it's fascinating. It's a, it's a, if you've not read it, it's a Hugo Award winner. It's, it, it was at one time the most sold science fiction novel ever printed. Oh, damn, okay. It's I definitely need to really check that out. really weird that I've not heard of it considering how much science fiction... It's, that is, I'm it is kind of shocking. I mean, it's even in, <laughs> it's, it, it so permeated the popular culture, it made Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Huh. Um, but, I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's in there. Stranger in Strangeland, just to give you the quick overview, um, basically, this mission goes to Mars uh, that's composed of three or four pairs of scientists that are couples. Like The, the mission was arranged this way because they knew they weren't coming back and they were going to go colonize. Mm. And before they left... They all signed a contract that all of their assets were, would be pooled jointly. 
uh, for legal purposes going forward. And they were all very wealthy, and, and that allowed the funding of the trip and yada, yada, yada. And they all, so they go, and nobody hears from them again. Sixteen years pass, and they mount another expedition to Mars, and they get there, and there's a kid. One 16-year-old boy. Oh, and Martians. Oh. Oh. Martians are real. They live these extraordinarily long lives, uh, which have allowed them to sort of... They've developed this sort of ethos that is very... You know, they're they're almost timeless, so time isn't a factor for them. They're incredibly patient and mm. and just sort of allow things to pass over them. And they have this whole philosophy and and so forth that this child has been raised entirely in. Okay. And mm. they bring him back, and because of these sort of odd arrangements of law regarding new planets and these contracts that were signed, he not only comes back to be the sole inheritor of this vast empire of fortune when he returns, which, you know, to put into perspective, he owns a significant portion of the moon. Okay. Because of the trust that was developed here to do this. Mm-hmm. He owns Mars because he was there when they got there. Huh. So here is this guy who is 16 years old. He has no concept of what it is to be a human because he was raised by Martians. He doesn't understand money. He doesn't understand politics. He doesn't understand anything of what we understand to be the human experience. And he comes back home. And the whole book is about him figuring out what it is to be human. That sounds really cool. It's, I am definitely going to look this up. <laughs> it's fascinating. Same. It is a fascinating book, you know, and it, and it's a sci-fi story. So of course he's got special powers, you know, because Obviously. because the Martians taught him how to control his body in different ways than we understand and so forth. But and then so then there's some boy. If you're into tantric sex, uh, oh, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> but that's like it is a, a very weird book for if you look at you know this is the guy who wrote a thousand year revolt and 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 some of these just like really militaristic space stories starship troopers for crying out loud and then he does um, this starship troopers the whole thing with the film was that they um they deliberately parodied the whole near fascist sort of undertones of the book. Yeah. Mm. Like the, the I, film, I wouldn't even the call film, them undertones. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Like the film was the film the film was basically a propaganda movie in the universe of Starship Troopers. Right. Well, it's it's a so yeah, it's a strangers and 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 that colored the rest of his career. Like after mm. that was such a success. Unfortunately, as a result, I mean, it's not that he didn't write a lot of crap along the way um, mm. to getting to Stranger. He certainly did. He was a pulp novelist, and there's no, I mean, God. It's the one saving grace of um, L. Ron Hubbard is that, you know, you know it's crap because the output, the output was so vast. That man would write a book in two days. Yeah. Um, 
It's also why his religion makes no sense. In fucking deed. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really think that a uh, like he was a uh, Hubbard was a very very good con man and a great shyster, but not much of a writer. I think if if we if he'd been a better writer, it'd be a whole mu- that'd be a way better cult. Be a <laughs> way better cult if he'd been a better writer. Like I mean, like, and that's scary to think about, seeing as how like efficient the Church of Scientology are. Like, at one point, they almost infiltrated the U.S. Senate. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, the, the the trick that they pulled on the IRS is one of the great religious coups mm. ever. Or, well, cons. It's one of the best cons ever. Cause oh, absolutely. The, the, the way that the Church of Scientology managed to get out of their... Uh, to, to be labeled as a religious institution with tax-exempt status is they had their members sue the IRS. As many of them as they could get to. Which is a relatively effective large-scale protest of sorts? Of sorts, yeah. Especially considering how many rich and famous people were already part of the church at that point. Oh, and it doesn't cost that much money to file a charge. And, no, and it, these are people who are putting tens of thousands of dollars into this program. So hmm. clearly they're, they'd be willing to throw it out. But yeah, they just they drowned the IRS in litigation and then went to them and said, hey, look, if you just give us tax-exempt status and forgive this, what, like a billion and a half in unpaid taxes that we have, all of these court cases can disappear. Fucking hell. And when, you know, and when they did sort of the math, because that's what they do, and they looked at how much it was going to cost in just time and money and resources to solve all of this legal action, for which it could never stop. There could always be more coming. Oh, absolutely. This was a cheap deal. Uh, Yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, Watch Going Clear um, inside the uh, Prison of Belief, I think it's called. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, Uh, I've been meaning to check that out for a while. I know of it mostly because of, um, oh no, Ross and Carrie did the whole thing where they infiltrated Scientology for a while. They talked about it during that as well. That's yeah, a very yeah. good series of podcast episodes. The uh, I'll have to listen to that. The book was phenomenal. Uh, Lawrence Wright did a, an amazing job with that book, and the the documentary is is surprisingly dense with the information from the book. Uh, they did a they did a pretty good job, and not that it's hard to paint Scientology as a sort of dangerous cult, because I think just about any hack could do it. Uh, but oh, yeah. but this is very mm. thoroughly researched and an excellent viewing. Mm. We've kind of stopped talking about video games somewhere along. Yeah. So who's the real uh, yeah. hero? I, this will be a solid franchise. Uh, is it yeah. Elrond Hubbard? Uh, is that the route we're going down now? Okay. Well, I'm gonna say it's either it's either Elrond Hubbard or penises. Now hear me out. I think okay. that. My my previous assertion was that um, Hideo Kojima changed penises for whoever was being controlled by the player character. Mm. Um, my new thing that I'm going to say is that actually Hideo Kojima split his biomass up into lots and lots of tiny Hideo Kojimas and okay. entered the urethra of 
every single major character who had a purpose in all of Metal Gear. Um, and that's why there's so many uh, purpose jokes and where you see people's butts and stuff is because it's Hideo Kojima is making that happen from inside. So what you're saying is, what you're saying is, this is what I, I this is what I take from that situation is that uh, the real hero of the Metal Gear franchise is Hideo Kojima's penis Horcruxes. <laughs> yes, yes, that is it. Hideo Kojima's penis Horcruxes. Horcruxes are behind the events of every single Metal Gear game. I just figured out how I could tie L. Ron Hubbard into the Metal Gear universe. Ooh, okay. Ooh, come come okay. back with the rebuttal. Come on. So this is, this, is, uh, it, um, this is a guy. The connection is a guy. He is a real person. And I need to stress that. He was a hmm. real person. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna, uh, and the reason I tell you that is because I'm going to describe him to you, and you're going, to, you may have the thought that he was written by Hideo Kojima. Okay. But his name is Jack Parsons. Mm-hmm. Jack I've heard Parsons of him. was, which great name, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good name. It's a good name. Jack Parsons was a scientist. He was a rocket scientist. He worked for the Jet Propulsion Lab. Uh, so he is, uh, in a lot of ways, responsible for uh, the rocket propulsion systems that would later, um, you know, launch our nuclear missiles. Uh, one of the first things that he did that was significant historically is <coughs> he designed rockets that could be attached to um, planes mm-hmm. and assist their takeoff when they were overburdened with cargo. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay, so he, he created that. Mm. He was also, however, a member of Aleister Crowley's magical organization. Holy fucking shit. Which Elron Hubbard also was, right? Well, this is the connection. Uh, Jack Parsons had a... Uh, uh, after he made millions of dollars... Uh, in in his work, he bought a house in Orange County, California, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it became a just place for uh, various bohemians and magic workers and all of these people from this subculture to just come and and hang out and you know live there, do their things or, or whatever it is that they they pursued. And so, like a, a weird, like a commune ki- type deal. Rapture. Yeah, it's kind of like a commune. Um, okay. But it was it was you know, like an artistic community thing that he'd set up. Mm. And Hubbard came to live there. Um, after he had gotten out of the navy and he'd okay. written uh, what would become Dianetics, but I don't think he'd published it yet by this point. Okay. Um, so he got, but he got out of the naval hospital after his injury, and he went to Orange County and went and lived with Parsons in this house. And the two of them embarked on a sex magic ritual uh, with yes. a a woman that came into the community um, after Hubbard stole Parsons' girlfriend. 
And then after Parsons does this very long, you know, ridiculous sex magic thing with uh, Hubbard sort of sitting there watching, basically, and taking notes. <laughs> like, that was his role in this. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, Hubbard ran off with Parsons' ex-girlfriend and his yacht. He stole the man's boat and took to the seas. Okay, well, this is fantastic, and I am wondering where it's going to tie back into Metal Well, Gear. if there is ever a character that would f- exist in the Metal Gear oh, universe... I see. It's Jack so, Parsons. Like, you, you, didn't, you didn't have to write him. Hideo had to do nothing to Jack Parsons. Because <laughs> he was already perfectly crystallized for that world. And in a sense, I suppose the absurd nature of of Parsons potentially, like, potentially in one way or another, eventually led into inspiring Metal That's Gear. what I think. That's where that's okay, where I'm ultimately I going. I think Jack Parsons is the real hero of Metal Gear Solid. So now, literally, the real hero. <laughs> So I think. Oh, that's you got meta with that, didn't you, George? I think it's down to you. Is it going to be the army of urethra horcruxes, or is it Jack Parsons just for being the most Metal Gear real human being to have ever existed? It's. What makes most sense plot-wise as a real hero, or what is an actual, tangible, real hero? And that's a very difficult choice to make. Um, do either of you have any closing statements? No, uh, I have my, none. I have one closing statement. Okay. Urethra Gremlins. <laughs> that are Hideo Kojima. And if you look at them close enough, they wink at you and give you a thumbs up. I mean, I do like that as a concept. Who can compete with that? I mean, that's... <sighs> Jack Parsons. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Um, and that's the dilemma I'm having. His bi- All right, I'll give you... Hang on. I will... The name of uh, his biography is Sex and Rockets, The Secret World of Jack Parsons. Oh, shit. Sex and Rockets could also be Metal Gear, though. Yeah. So that feels like the name of a band that Hideo Kojima would tweet out. No, that's um, that's that is Hideo Kojima's secret Metal Gear cover band. Oh my god! Yes, it is. Oh shit. Um. This is such a difficult decision to make. Yeah, well, You've both made very compelling arguments. I have one last argument to make, then. Okay. Pepis Goblin. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, that's the entire argument. Okay. Um... Now, the, um, the Hideo Kojima penis gremlin horcruxes, right? I feel like... In the universe of Metal Gear, that is a genuinely feasible explanation for how everything connects into itself. Um, and I, that's now my headcanon for how the universe works. But um, I just... 
Jack fucking Parsons, man. Like, it's I it's think, ridiculous that that such I a person think, exists. I know it is. It's ridiculous and amazing, and I feel like it's undeniable that while yes, um, the 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 Pepe's goblins um, are um, a large aspect of the real of, of being the real heroes of the Metal Gear universe, that. Metal Gear as a universe might not exist were it not for the fact that individuals like Jack Parsons exist in this world. And that is why I'm going to go with Jack Parsons. Oh, wow. Yay! Woohoo! Once again. <laughs> I'm sorry, Elodie, you're going to win one day. One day I'll win. Well, there we go. There you have it. Ladies, gentlemen, and variations thereupon, the real hero of Metal Gear is Jack Parsons, Sex and Rockets. <laughs> well, before we sign off, I'm just going to insert a promo for another Podhaven show here. Oh, hi, didn't see you there. Oh, hi, I didn't see you there, Hawk. Are you interested in, in terrible internet fanfiction? By God darn I am, sir. Do you like it when uh, the hosts of a show do not write anything down in preparation for a promo? It's my favorite thing in the world next to fanfiction. Oh, hello, miss. I didn't see you there. Oh, hello. I was just listening in on your conversation about high-quality free fanfiction. Welcome both of you to my laundromat. I see you are both here to do laundry and also talk about fanfiction. Is that Naruto over there? Having sex with Sonic the Hedgehog? Yes, while they wash their clothes. Sonic is washing his, his shoes, and Naruto is washing his headband in my laundromat that I own. And his shuriken. They've destroyed my freaking washing machine, but they're f***ing quite a bit. It's attracting a lot of customers, including you two. That makes me want to listen to the fan canon on Podhaven. Original promo, do not steal. Well, I'm going to steal it anyways. I'm a criminal now, too. Ha 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 ha. And you listened to the promo then, so hi also again, and now we're going to say goodbye. Uh, Conrad, if you want to tell people where they can find sure. your things. Sure, uh, you can find me on my Twitter, at Conrad Zimmerman. Uh, you can see, you can find Fish Shark Marketing, um, a, a very funny podcast, um, I'm Told. And uh, that's at Fist Shark, like uh, fist, like the verb, and uh, shark like the predator that can't stop partying. Um, <laughs> Fistshark.com for, for that podcast. It's also available on uh, Apple Podcasts and, and everywhere else, Stitcher. And it's not on SoundCloud. Um, and, and I guess now that SoundCloud, I was holding out because I'd heard that SoundCloud, you know, was facing... Uh, doom and gloom, but they just got an investor. Like... I heard, so hmm. so they yeah, which is good for us considering everything we've ever done is, is on, on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Yeah, that's that that would scare the hell out of me. Uh, my wife's podcast yeah. is hosted on SoundCloud too, um, and that yeah, it frightens me a little bit. But uh, if if you're on SoundCloud, you can check out the spinoff Doctors. I actually have a playlist of all the episodes that makes it easy if you want to get around having to listen to a bunch of Jimquisition stuff, but again, can't imagine why you would. And uh, I I have a website that I don't update very often, uh, conradzimmerman.com, that you could go look at, but uh, as I say, there's not much there. And that's pretty much it for me. Uh, okay, so George, do you want to say your things? 
Well, friends at home, if you go to jaffemeister.com, that's J-A-F-F-A-M-E-I-S-T-E-R.com, uh, you can see me uh, violently mash communism into video games and talk about how it makes sense in both written and audiovisual formats. You can also find me at Twitter, um, at Jaffemeister, where I share all my work and um, um, shout at fascists. Um, and you can also find me at Indie Haven, where I am the editor-in-chief. And if you're interested in indie games and all of the connected things to them, uh, that will be the site for you. Um, and you can also find some of my artistic creations at the Facebook page Transhammer Gender Sickle, which is a Facebook page dedicated to communist memes about trans people. I have liked that page. Good. <laughs> it's a good page. I made it myself. With a gun. With a gun. Uh, if you go to youtube.com forward slash Schaffermeister, you can find the latest episode of my show, Your Favourite Communistic, where I'm trying to convince people in games media that their favourite video game characters are communists. Uh, this latest episode was Alice Bell from Video Gamer, and I tried to convince her that Solus from Dragon Age Inquisition is actually a communist. So you should totally go check that out. Shall I say my things then? Yes, you should. Uh, I'm done now. <laughs> you can find me at Kemi Words on Twitter, C H E M Y Words. Uh, same with Patreon, and I I had a couple people paying me on Patreon, but they're not anymore, so can you please go there and pay me some money? Thank you very much. Uh, and yeah, um, I have almost finished work on a video that's going to be going up on my YouTube channel. Hopefully tomorrow, I think. Uh, at the time of recording, not at the time of release, I don't know. It's Elodie Cunningham on YouTube, and I'll have a new thing out soon. And I also do Indie Haven work there, do the podcasts. I'm... That's me. Oh, well, also, I wrote the theme song. Uh, you can find it at chemicalwordsmith.bandcamp.com. That's everything. Okay. Uh, well, in that case, um, there's always the thing that I have to end this podcast with. Something very important. A bit of advice to tide you over until the next time we release one. Do you know what that is? What is it? Have a wonderful time! I think that's our second longest episode. Yeah. Uh, I, after I the one of it where is we pure gold. Yeah. Well, the there was the one where we um we had an episode, Conrad, where we um. Do I should I go ahead and stop? No. We. we oh. Okay. Oh, I don't we know we're gonna do our Twitter stuff in a oh, second. Okay. I'm just gonna just send to you. That I can't tell an... when the podcast ends and real life begins. <laughs> <laughs> we had an episode where we um, we watched the entirety of The Phantom Menace and picked out 
our favourite background characters, and then we had a very sincere discussion about what we liked about that film. And that was the entire length of The Phantom Menace, plus some time for a musical number in the middle. Look, I'm, uh, I'm the guy who's talked about pixels for like a grand total of five hours recorded or something ridiculous. So. <laughs> oh, shit, me. That's, I, I, that's, I watched yeah. along with you for the live stream, so... I think I did as well, actually. I, I watched along with the VOD, I think. That was painful. That live stream was really painful. But uh, not it's, as not it's... as painful as having to then watch it again to do the episode. We did not consider <laughs> the oh, implications God. of that. I forgot, I forgot that that's... That was the situation. Yeah, yeah I, I remembered. Oh. Yeah, that that was a that was a fun evening. I had an exam in the morning, but I still stayed up to um to watch that. I'd like to do that again. I I I I'm hoping, depending on how things go, I I would like to uh, head down south to visit Jim and do another one of those at some point. I think that would be a lot of that fun if we can get it together. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to Podhaven. 